Oh my gosh, this conversation was off the rails already and I wasn't hitting record yet. <laughs> Joey Rosenberg was was thinking we were already on the podcast. And I here I am on another episode of Sessions with Mary Jane with your host, Jordan Freed. Uh, Rena and Brendan are both on vacation. So we got a, uh, a Jordan, uh, Jordan-headed monster uh, interviewing the one and only Joey Rosenberg. Jordan. Comedian and... Uh, Artist, cool dude, musician. There's a lot going on. A lot going on. There's a lot going on here. Yeah, bro. And now we just have to kind of pretend that we haven't been chilling for a couple of hours and re-greet each other. Like, no, we don't have to pretend. <laughs> we, hey, bro. I, I'm, I'm hosting the podcast now. We were at equal level before, and now I'm the host. All right, all right. And for- being on Sessions with Mary Jane, we give uh, our uh, guests... Uh, a little bit of a challenge, you know, to keep them on their toes while they're a little stony. Mm-hmm. Um, and your challenge today is to name every single town that you drove through uh, from California. You know, you don't have to name anything. Like, people have gotten zero before. People have gotten uh, 100, I think. But, uh, let me you know, like, it's just on the back burners. I'm going to ask you other questions. But that's, like, just your challenge for the day. I... Uh, well, I, I let's see, fucking Green River, Utah. <laughs> we stayed a night there. Uh, Hayes, Kansas. Um, there was Colby, Colorado, I think. Uh, where else? Stroudsburg, PA. That was right before. That was the night before I got back because I've only been back two days. Uh, oh my god! That those were just the places we stayed. The places we drove through. We drove through, from Los Angeles, the North Passage. <laughs> to, to to all the way to New Jersey, so we passed through Nevada, cut through a part of Arizona, cut through a part of Nebraska, cut through a part of Utah, drove like all across Kansas, pretty much. Unfortunately, it's towns. Damn. <laughs> That's why this game is fun. All right, I'm, I'm going to start uh, talking about you because our uh, listeners might not have ever seen you before because we have listeners out in New Orleans, we have listeners out in LA who might have just seen you, yeah, and we have listeners. Uh, all over the fucking place. I look at the statistics. All right. Um, Anybody still in LA? Get out. Get out of there. What are you doing? <laughs> no. Uh, so we're not going to start a year uh, coming back from LA because that's that's totally not not where Joey Rosenberg began. We want to start uh, way back when. Um, how did you get into comedy? Um, and No, not comedy. Music. What music. the fuck? My older brother... He started playing guitar when I was in fifth grade, and he was uh, in high school, and he was like my definition of cool. I have four siblings, but he's the brother that's closest in age. Um, and then I was playing in bands from that point on, from like fifth grade, sixth grade on. And uh, freshman year of college, the band that I was in at the time broke up for about a week, and I, like it really seemed like we weren't going to get back together. And... I was like, what the hell am I going to do? Like, I still want to go on stage. I just, I like, I considered yeah. doing comedy a couple times over the years, but playing guitar and bands for so long and being, going to isolated schools, like religious schools, so I didn't meet kids in my neighborhood. Guitar was an easy way for me not to have to talk. Yeah. But then all of a sudden I'm, I'm in college and I have to kind of gain these social skills that were just not there from, like, I didn't grind them out. So it, it kind of caught me up in that way. And then like a, a week went by and we, the band decided to get back together. And then all of a sudden I'm like, you know, I guess I'm doing both because I'm not going to stop doing stand-up. And eventually that band really like ended up actually going a lot further. Most of like a few of those kids in that band are in much bigger bands now, <laughs> like way, way, way bigger. 
Um, what was that band? What are the bands that uh, they're in now? Monuments of a Memory. Shout out to them. All the guys in that band. Josh, Aaron, the Newhouse new Twins. Whatever drummer they have now. <laughs> they got a new drummer now. And Will and Lorna Shore. He's on top of the world now with them. So shout out to him. But I was never in a band with Will. He's just like in our circle. And, uh, and he was in Monument for a year right before he blew up. Like Will is on top of the world right now. But back to my little story. But yeah, right after we, like, I just decided, I'm like, I'm either doing both or neither. And, uh, I, like eventually that band after a few more years, but, uh, the band did break up and I still kept doing standup and all the way, even dur- during the pandemic, like I only went about four months without doing it, but there, you know, did a ton of out as many outdoor mics as I could find. And, uh, it's very rare that I've taken more like of, of a, not constant approach with stand up because I, I've been trying to kind of go at this really hard since I started, but uh, the pandemic kind of screwed with that. And then I've been living in LA the last year and kind of doing more shows than mics there. So like I had more of like a, a show a month there usually, but the mics I didn't get out to nearly as much as I should have. So where are you from? Uh, Paramus, New Jersey and the Bronx. My dad's from the Bronx. Nice. Nice. Can I say one of the last Jews of the Bronx, man? There's literally none left. I remember, like, when I was a kid, there was like one temple left, and we would go, and it's the saddest thing. Everyone's like 109 years old, <laughs> and like, it's just the building is slowly getting reclaimed by other religions. Like, you have a Sikh gathering in this room now, and you have like fucking Epicostal Christians over here. Like, just take, they had to rent those rooms out because the, the fucking congregants were all dying, and yeah. no one was their membership fees anymore. And <laughs> it's just like a little religious war that happened in the that the building in the Bronx. <laughs> oh yeah, I come from Bronx Jews. <laughs> yeah. They don't make them like us anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um cool. So what what did you when did you move to Jersey? Uh so I, I've grown up in Paramus most of my life. Weird. So what is the most uh Jersey thing that you love to do? I'd say go to this beach that uh, no one really knows about. Are you going to expose it? You got to expose it to our listeners. Uh, expose I, it. it I, Is it the nude beach? No, it's not a nude beach. It's it's one that's, I'll, I'll say the name of, of it. It's, oh, okay, it's Ideal Beach. It's in, God, I forget the name of the town right now, but it's not that far on the parkway. Um, it's called Ideal Beach. Uh, it's, the reason why it's, it's like a public beach there, but there's no one knows about that's there. It's perfectly situated amongst this neighborhood that unless you were passing the street next to the actual coastline, you would never know this town is there. And it never comes up as like a coastal town or a beach option. When you look at beaches on Google, it's just something I found by accident and no, not by accident. My friend Ben showed it to me Oh, uh, and, yeah. I, and, and he's just like, anytime you go there, no one else is there, but it's a per, it's a perfect beach. It's like, there's no stores or anything like that. There's no tourists. No one fucking, only the people in the town know about it and it's just there. So they take it for granted, but it's like 20, you, you could go at any time. No one's going to stop you. You don't have to pay for parking because there's so much free street parking. No one gives a fuck. It's just perfect. I go, I, you know, I'm, I just got back to Jersey two nights ago. But uh, when I have a little bit more money and I could get back out there more, I'm going to go to that beach again regularly. It's like my secret little beach. And oh, wow. Yeah. Secret little beach. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah, maybe yeah. you'll have some guests asking for autographs at your secret little beach. Right. They'll be taking pictures of you, the paparazzi. Right. Uh, speaking of the paparazzi, uh, you've also dabbled in the film industry. What was your uh, like background in the film industry? Like, When did you start like getting on sets and doing that kind of stuff? Around the same time I was doing stand-up, like, uh, I started doing stand-up. Um, so it was about, 
it must have been like 2016, 17. Um, my band filmed like one music video and the, the kid who directed uh, our video, his name is Eric DiCarlo. He does a lot of really big bands music videos now. He's someone else in our little fucking oh, uh, <laughs> circle that's doing big things now. That's funny. But um, shout out Eric DiCarlo and uh, Square Up Studios. <laughs> <laughs> fucking uh, everyone in my you know in my band in New Houses they reckon they recognized Eric from being in the movie I think Drive with um, Dave Franco. And they just recognized that he was in this, Ryan Gosling. It was always oh, got Ryan Gosling. Yeah. But like he just recognized him, everybody recognized him from that movie. So we just got to talking. I'm like, man, how did you get get started in that? And he told me, you know, how I got. He, he told me how to get my first like little little background booking, and uh, I just started pursuing it from there. And that happened to be the time, right around the time that uh, you know my band was starting to get serious, and it ended up you know getting somewhere before it broke up. But yeah, that was about like 20, you know. The first time I was in a comedy club, though, was November 18th, 2013. So I started, and I just started doing stand-up two years after that. So I must have started in 2015. I was there. It was Dangerfields, and it, my friend got free tickets. You know, just got like a, to a Monday night, bring what I now know to be a bringer show. At oh, wow. You got brought. That was your first ever comedy show. It was, <laughs> it was bringing brought. You know, it was, it was, yeah. And, you know, I saw that waiter that, that passed away not too long ago, like the one that was there for the whole run of Dangerfields, the old guy before he passed away. So like, that was the first time I was in a comedy club, but, um, but yeah, I started doing it at the same time. And then slowly when you do a lot of background roles and you haven't been in a lot of background stuff before you get cast a lot, <coughs> bless you. You get cast a lot. You like, at least I did because you've just never been in anything. And then once you've been in stuff, you get less roles booked because a lot of the same stuff is filming. And for continuity purposes, they can't have the same looking people in scenes that move around in terms of location and stuff. So, you know, the work comes and goes. And then uh, I did enough non-union background roles for like about two, three years where I had what's called SAG waivers, the Screen Actor Guild waivers. And what that is, is that basically somebody screwed up and put you too close into the shot where the actual, where the things were happening. And now they have to give you a SAG waiver because you're technically a feature. And so, like, you kind of have – that that's the only way I know how to get – unless you could just buy your way in completely. But even with my waivers, like, you have to have that happen to you three times. And once you get those waivers, you still have to pay – I had to pay $3,200 to get – and then I got my SAG card. <laughs> so I was like – so about three three years in, I got my SAG card. And then I, I did it on and off again for another couple – of you know, the last couple of years. But the last thing I did background for was – the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel uh, last March, last April, right when the, the pandemic started opening up. Nice. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the craziest misconception about the film industry? Misconception? Uh, I don't know. It, it's... The, the concept of hurry up and wait, like, it, it's one of those things I never fully understood until you start doing it. I mean, it, it's a lot of that. You, you realize you start packing your backpack with more and more things just to entertain you while you're in the basement of churches and gyms and waiting for crappy food. And, and, and like, you, you look at it like it, it is a job because it is a grind and you can keep, you know, they can keep you there for hours and hours, especially for non-union. Like, the first time I worked for SNL as a background, I was non-union at the time. And because uh, their contracts are so old, like the actual SNL contracts are so old that they can keep you like well past overtime and they don't have to pay you sh shit extra for that just because like that's what you sign up for to get that call but you know you do it 
Yeah, you do it for the love. The love of the game. <laughs> yeah, you know, I worked for SNL as background, three, no, twice as background, once as a stand-in. And uh, I, got, I loved it every time, but it was not easy, and it did not pay very well. Yeah. Who's your top five comedians? Who's your top five musical artists? Oh, jeez. I'll have to go, let's see. And, he, and he's high, so so you don't have to uh, hold him to this list. So this is a hybrid, so like it's it's you know it, it generates thought in it. Fuck it, it's like you know. Let's see. Let's let's start with comics, and I'm probably gonna get a couple wrong here, but it's like my immediate one. I'm thinking my top five. Personally. Yeah. All right. So like, in no particular order, Patrice O'Neill, Nick Swerdson, J.B. Smoove. I have, you know what, this is like a relatively new addition, but it's the truth. Tommy Davidson. I fucking love Tommy Davidson. I don't know if you, uh. No, speak to it. I haven't really he, watched him too much. He was on In Living Color. Okay, uh, and, and as a stand up, I just think he's so tremendously underrated. Word. My God, his bits are so well fleshed out and, and so, like, he could disappear into a character that he creates on the spot in and out. He, he's in, he, he never loses communication with the audience as he goes into character to character. They're with him, and he pops out of character in such a subtle way when he has to to, to keep their. T- it's it's just genius, absolutely wow. genius. So, I would say he's he's like uh, in, in terms of my favorites. Where are we at? We're at Nick Swordson, Patrice O'Neill, Tommy Davidson. Um, there was somebody else. I know I said somebody else. Oh, I still got to think of one. Um, it's tough because there's there's a lot of comics that I've like gone through periods where I really like and there's a lot of comics that are good that I enjoy just like I don't know if I have like a, a fifth top because yeah that's I'm fine you can yeah. just stop it there J- yeah, I made it J- I made J- it smooth J- yeah so I yeah, so, you said JB smooth these are, these are like my JB smooth twice yeah right <laughs> you know because like those comedians Tracy Morgan would be close but like in a different the com the comics that I really find funny and that I, I try to base my stand up off of have that that belly laughing I want to hang out with that guy funny you yeah. know Chris Farley had that too like what where you feel they're accessible and, and you can laugh with them and you want to hang out with them and then there's comics that are more uh, they're orators they're 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 more like better talkers like Bill Burr somebody that he he gets enough work. Um, talking and, and on his podcast, I'm saying like he has enough of room to practice talking on his podcast. His, his comedy is very, very, he, he talk, you know, he's very wordy. It's not that physical at all. Yeah, for you, sure. So like, it's very different. I wouldn't try to get out of a Bill Burr set what I would try to get out of a J.B. Smooth set. It's, it's different kinds of comedy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my water bottle just peed all over me. Yeah, dude. It's okay. For no reason. Yeah. <laughs> just do it with that drizzling down your chin with the sunlight hitting you. <laughs> I just don't understand this. When I bought this water bottle, it was a Yeti. And the guy was just like, my son, he, he just loves Yetis. I'm just like, what? Yeah. how old is your son? <laughs> He's obsessed with Yeti yeah, water bottles. Hey man, I, can I, do you have another one? Can I keep one? A Yeti water bottle? Yeah. It, no, it's really bad. I'm not going to let you have it because it's bad. Oh damn, man. Someone should tell that kid that Yeti water bottles suck. 
This is, you know what? If Yeti this was, if Yeti was even thinking about sponsoring this podcast, it, yeah. Yeti can go fuck itself. We don't need your sponsorship because you, you, you suck. Your bottles suck, and we don't. Coolers like amazing. Like, bottles terrible. Your bottles offend us on a personal level, and we'll take your money, but we won't call you a sponsor. You know, <laughs> like it's th- that's not going to happen. You could give us as much money as you want; we'll accept it. <laughs> but, but like, but yeah, man. Um, <laughs> the the comedy that like that I look for is just more they have more physicality more I want to hang out with that guy funny and 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 it's not that I like I, I like different genres of comedy because of how different they are like you wouldn't want you wouldn't get out of a um, let's say a Nick Swartzen set the same thing you would get out of a Stephen Wright set at all it's so true it's different yeah. genre almost like every comedy uh, comedian is like is almost like his own genre it's not like with bands where you can kind of like usually you can't pair three or four together like that. And, and when you, when you could, people did, when you had like the Texas comedy outlaws or the blue, um, the blue collar comedy tour or the Kings of comedy, like that, that's cool. But that happens way more in music than it does with comedy. Comedy, it's much rarer to have groups like that, you know, and like genres and shit. Yeah, for sure. Uh, different cups of tea for different, uh, different people who like to. That's, that's <laughs> the strength in those groups. That's, that's what, what groups like the Kings of comedy or like, you know, um, the, the Kims of comedy that Bobby Lee used to do with, uh, Ken Jong and, and Steve Byrne, like those, each of them are so different and they appeal to different people in the audience that look for different things in their comedy just in that show. So like, I, I see that now because every individual comedian has their own style like that to me. Yeah. yeah that is very real. Um, do you like music anymore? I, I don't listen to it nearly as much as I used to because like when my band decided like me and my band decided to kind of call it quits because yeah. Monument it was clear that Monument was always doing be- you know, bigger and better than us like because they had about a year or so head start on us and and we were always friends and it was you know it was always cool and they always put us on their shows like their shows were always big and, they, and because two of them were in our band also and and you know it was never supposed to kind of conflict but then they were getting big enough where it was starting to conflict and even then like i kind of i was pretty burnt out musically at that point and because i'd been going since i was in like sixth grade trying to start bands and i was writing the music mostly at the time because dylan and jeremy are actually way better now than they were but they were still amazing in that band the only reason why anything sounded good live was because of them (laughs) (laughs) they actually knew how to use fucking a complex equipment and shit but uh, but and dylan is such a good vocalist shout out dylan newhouse fucking monuments of memory love you bro um like this kid the way he was able to scream and then actually come back and not miss a note <laughs> like like to to alternate from that and not miss a note is absolutely insane it's not just it's like different than you would find in let's say like what will does in lorna shore where there's i don't i don't think they're singing at all or maybe there is i haven't listened, i don't really listen to lorna <laughs> i just love will <laughs> but like but from what i like lorna is very very brutal like like they're I don't know about deathcore, but they're definitely like really, really hardcore, dude. Like, so there's not a lot of singing. But Will's voice is so fucking perfect as a, as a growler or screamer. He has everything that everybody, every vocalist has had in that genre. Will is able to do and do really well. And it's 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 just so cool to know people like that. <laughs> little <laughs> yeah. Jewish kid, little Jewish kid friends with a bunch of metalheads. Yeah, no, that was gonna be my next question too. How has uh, Judaism uh, affected your life? Uh, it's strange. Like, I mean, a lot in my childhood, you know, I was in really religious schools growing up. And then when around college time was like, at least the first time I was able to kind of 
because I've been I, I stopped being religious when I was like 15 but you know 18, 19 and I'm able to drive and shit like that like that's when I was able to start really putting my all into being in bands and things like that just because like very restricted for a long time and then um, really I didn't have any kind of connection with my Jewish thing for like the next 10 years and then it's like I'm not you know suddenly more religious now I, I guess I, I, I maintained my belief in a God just not what Judaism during that whole stretch but like the last year and a half or so I, I've definitely become like uh, it's gonna sound so LA I hate it but like definitely like more spiritual but like not really religious I'm just more <laughs> I'm more able to have these conversations because I walked away from it these kinds of spiritual conversations yeah. were a hundred percent fueled by just the schools I went to and stuff it wasn't really me it was just where I was and what I learned now I feel like I could actually converse somebody like a rabbi or a Sikh or anybody and have my experience to kind of bounce off with. And it's not anything informing that. It's the experiences that I had away from that where now I'm like, I'm comfortable enough to talk about this stuff from my experience. You know? Yeah. No, it's pretty beautiful to find your own kind of spirituality and religion. It's for sure. Well, it's just because the way I see it, man, like it's not a three way street, whatever I do. Like, so like the thing is whenever you're in say Orthodox Judaism or whatever, there's you, there's, you know, your deity. And then there's this, the third party where it's like the, the, the religion and the practices and the customs and all the, and, and all the requirements and the norms that comes with that. And the way I see it, I'm like, this isn't, this isn't a three way street. It's between me and my, you know, whatever yeah. I, I'm talking to or believing in, it's that what, like, who the hell are you, all you? And why are you telling me? It's got nothing to do with any of you. Yeah. I just view it that way. So yeah. that's usually what I've told people, like when they try to kind of, there's only been a couple times where like one time someone was trying to kind of push Scientology on me. Another time was really, someone was trying to argue the virtues of Christianity to me. And I'm, and I wasn't arguing against them. I'm like, I just view that third party suspiciously, no matter what the religion is, no matter what the code is, the moment that someone is stepping into a role that I don't need them to step in. Yeah. In terms of like, that's where I'm like, no offense, whatever you're doing, I'll be over here if you need me. <laughs> Yeah, and it's weird because, like, I think a lot of the aspects of religion that kept people coming in are in our life in other ways. Yeah. Like, now we've adapted religion to be TV and movies. Now we've adapted religious music to be just the music that we have today is now religious music. And, like, the artwork is now, like, Instagram and shit like that. Like, the shit you used to go into the church to see, like, on the walls or go into the temple to see the walls and shit like that. Yeah, there's a time where nobody outside the the priest was allowed to be able to be, to read, to be literate. Cause like they had, had to come from, from God, like sh shit like that, you know, plus there's, there's no shortage of shit to call out with, with, with any really organized religion. But we're talking about the Christians right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 but I had my own experiences with hypocrisy within the Orthodox Jewish community. And it's, it's, it's something that just happens no matter what group you're in. And then you have to kind of determine, it's almost like separating the art from the artist. You kind of have yeah. to, you have no choice to, but to separate the, the good from the bad. Yeah. Also, we were talking earlier, like when we, we took a walk earlier, um, just like kind of how the, I feel like religions moved people across the world. Like that is the interesting thing about religions. Like you can just like disregard them and say like, I don't believe in that shit, but like it literally made like America spread out and like it made a lot of communities where they are right now. And just like all over the world, like people are fighting religious wars and people are getting in each other's faces over like bullshit. Yeah. And everyone know everyone was, the, is the guy or everyone's the link to, you know, 
God supposedly. And it's like, I can neither confirm nor deny that. So uh, as long as I can't, I'm just going to stay here and, you know, I, I don't, I don't need to kind of, uh, be a part of any group to have any kind of like spiritual connection. It's just like, it, it is what it is. And, and it's just what, whether there's actually something out there, I don't know. Like, but what faith I have or what, what spirituality I do have did not come from my, you know, it, it did not come from like my upbringing really. It came from me getting away from it and then kind of reconciling that from my experiences. What is something that uh, a lot of people would consider a conspiracy theory that you see as truth? <laughs> <laughs> Those damn Jew run media people. No, like, yeah. uh, I think that uh, the, the overturning of Roe v. Wade was it, like, it was purposely to divide the country. I think that the timing of it, the, just the, the nonsense timing of it, especially since there was a baby shortage at the time. Like, however people feel about abortion, whatever, I don't care. I'm not even going there. Like, it's just not even worth it. And it's not, I don't have any fucking opinions that are controversial. But it's just like, in terms of the timing that they decided to do it, it was like, that was right. We really need a moment of healing in the country. But if we do, then we're kind of less easy to control or less easy. if they keep us fighting with each other it's they could distract which is what they've done then it's easier to distract us from all this fucked up shit that goes on and i think that the the overturning of that was just them like we have to keep them fighting about something we don't have trump anymore we tried to kind of replace trump with joe rogan a couple of times in terms of like being the, the lightning rod and like they're always going to have something there there's a another virus that they're kind of promoting in china right now that's supposedly there's never going to be a moment where they all the influencers got it right they're they're, they're, they're always going to want us looking at that if we it's just the way it is it's it's what happened when breaking news became a 20 in a 24 hours news cycle people didn't see at the time how like that those are contradictory if it's breaking news all the time then nothing is serious and then i think that it's just kind of turned into this thing where they always have to have you know and that's that's the way it is a lot of these shows you know, live and thrive on ratings and ads and, and a lot of them are suffering big because most of the people have left, left the, you know, the TV space and don't watch it anymore. And I don't blame them because a lot of it is full of shit. Although if people are, are spreading all this propaganda about all of the violence in the streets everywhere, then I feel like that does make people watch TV more. It makes people buy Amazon more and all of that stuff. Because, yeah. like, if, you, if you're if you like, oh, my gosh, there are riots in my city. I can't go outside. Like, you literally just buy more Amazon because you're just like, I'm not going to the Target if they're going to riot at the Target. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true, man. It's, uh, and it's like Amazon probably wants this shit to happen. They have Amazon Prime. <laughs> I don't know, So man. then people just stay home and watch it. Netflix wants this shit to happen. They want people to be paranoid so they stay home all day. You know something? Like, I worked for Amazon for a month in, in Cali, and I... They never send any of us to Skid Row. So, so like... I guess that's nicer than other companies. Where this shit, like, if shit does go down and deteriorate that much, they're, like, they're not excited. I mean, they are excited about it, but at least they, you know, they're not diving headfirst into these neighborhoods delivering packages. (laughs) Like, it was, it felt, like, very scary to drive by there. I don't know how. I don't know how I got through that. But, yeah, man, it's just, that's what I think. I think that uh, the timing was 
it was a moment that it didn't really have to happen at all. And it didn't have to happen in that moment, especially. I think that they at least should have waited until there was no longer a formula, a baby formula shortage to overturn that if they were really gung-ho about it. And it was really, you know, so that, that told to me the lack of logic and the lack of just, you know, looking into the timing, like they haven't delayed bills before or like, you know, like they haven't delayed, yeah. you know, they could have, and they didn't. So I think there was a purposely divisive agenda to, to keep people kind of on edge around each other. Yeah. Oh yeah. And Joe Biden's very unpopular right now. And like Democrats are very unpopular right now. So like, this is a great way to be like, well, are you really going to vote for the other guys? Like, you don't want them to put you guys all in prison, do you? Like, it's it's kind of fucked up. It, it is, and it's like, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's like Nancy Pelosi just being like, wah, wah. <laughs> you know, and if they keep it at a at the two party system like that, where no matter what, you're you're just trying to you're trying to pick the lesser of two evils, and it's just it sucks. We're always at the you know they fucking raised the wages what not too long ago what happened right after they, they raised the wages inflation like there's they, they never let people but they didn't they didn't raise it on the federal level yeah. it's still 725 in louisiana and like texas jesus see like it, it, that's the thing is like what what are they waiting for and then it was it was too low 10 years ago uh, it was too low 15 years ago when i started working yeah and like they haven't raised it and like and, and meanwhile the cost of everything has gone up it's like it's just yeah. it sucks man it's rigged and it, and and you know for anybody who's like broke and nearing 30 i feel you <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm right there it's all about that hustle um, all right, on to bigger and brighter things. Um, we are going to now talk about. Hmm, I want to hear what is the movie that changed your life the most. Changed my life the most. I don't know. This is going to be kind of a weird entry, but like, just because uh, when I saw that movie, it really did kind of encapsulate like how college kind of felt and I felt like you know what yeah I'm glad this is kind of the end of you know my college run uh spring breakers you know oh wow that it, it definitely captured like wow that the aesthetic of that time and especially the friends I was hanging with some of which are still like the closest friend I have and you know that movie was like let me know like you're not a kid anymore man and uh yeah that one's it, it's strange because I, I don't know if that was the vibe that I was meant to give off with it but it really did it really just has this perfect atmosphere about it it's it's funny also how like real it is to America, like there are a lot of young people who just get taken advantage of like that, and like they think like oh I'm just having a good time, and then all of a sudden it just gets out of hand so quickly, yeah. shit like that. Uh, Harmony Crit is a god, very very good filmmaker. Which one? Right? Oh, is yeah, the director of that movie? Is that Harmony Crit? <sighs> I haven't. Spring Breakers is something I watched like maybe 10 times during the pandemic like it just I seems it's like, the guy who did beach bum right damn you're more of a film buff than i am i know i know i get it you're the big sag actor now and i'm, oh just, I'm, I'm the pa that's getting out of the business <laughs> like i can't oh yeah yeah I, it's been a while no i'm just i'm just shooting the shit it's really good to have you on the podcast man yeah, dude, it's good to be back uh do you have anything else that's coming up soon I haven't booked a damn thing since I, I've only been back two nights. I'm probably, I hadn't done stand up in the two weeks before I left LA. So I'm, I'm just getting settled back in. I, I've definitely got to shake off the stage rust and hell yeah. So invite, uh, 
Joey Rosenberg to your household so that he could uh, say hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do your backyard. I'll do I'll do you know kid party whatever. I just need need to get back out there. But yeah, you know I'll, I'll be hitting the open mic scene and you know I'll see people around. <laughs> I'll be there. What is your uh, go to high food? Go to high food because um, you have to be hungry now. You watched me eat before. That's a tough one. Okay, this is going to sound like kind of a strange one, but uh, ShopRite sushi really isn't bad. It's really not bad. And if you get enough things on the side with it, like, like beans or, you know, uh, skinny pop to have on the side with it, if you, can, you can make the most out of a, you know, supermarket sushi. Wow. If you know how to, you know, get good sushi. <laughs> wow, Brendan is going to listen to this and be like, so, so offended. He works at a sushi restaurant. Oh, God. No, I definitely don't go to the one that he works at. <laughs> Shout out, Brendan. What's up? <laughs> Um, all right, cassettes versus vinyl. Vinyl, it's just bigger, and and the part of the selling point of the vinyl was that you were getting almost almost like a painting every time. You're getting like a piece of art to look at and kind of fuck with and stare at when you're high. Cassettes, like it was more it, the portability of it was a huge selling point. It was the fact that you had to walk and you could take it on the go. Um, so I think like vinyl to me it was superior, and also in terms of quality. But like you, you can't carry a fucking record player around with you <laughs> even now. It's not. The guy that does is a hipster fucking doofus, and no one likes that guy. He carries around a record player with himself. So, like, but even the guy with the Walkman now, the guy who's walking around with an actual Walkman right now with tapes in 2022, just fuck yourself, all right? No, that's sick. Nobody's stealing that shit. <laughs> it's funny to think, man, that tech never stopped working. It's just that other shit that was more efficient came up, but that stuff still works. VCRs would still work. <laughs> you know, it's strange. What's your favorite place for silence? The shower. Nice. Well, I guess a bath, but like if a shower, like when you have a really good faucet and you get like high pressure without so much noise, it's tough, man. That's when you start spending like a hundred, hundred fifty dollars on a decent shower head. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you start getting older, you're like, you know what? I am sick of this kind of, these kind of shoes and this kind of shower head. And then this couch over here, like you just, you suddenly get sick of certain things that you got accustomed to. <laughs> You know, it depends when you hit rock bottom in certain places. That's when you really start making some changes. <laughs> if you could give your uh, 18-year-old self some advice, what would you give your 18-year-old self? Don't go to LA. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do it when I was 18 and I was supposed to with a friend. Like, he had family there and it was supposed to, it was like part of the plan right after high school. And then, like, uh, he backed out last minute. And, uh, like, I guess that, that would... It was always like in the back of my head, and that's part of what like made me spend the last year in LA. And I learned a lot. Like I don't regret going, um, but uh, I would say just you know, like I don't, <laughs> I re I don't regret going. It, it was just uh, I didn't have to make it as hard on myself to learn some things as I did, you know. So I would, I would try to just be more open minded because you don't know everything. <laughs> How hard is it to overcome like childhood dreams and shit like that? You got to. Hit rock bottom is a really generic term. I just guess whatever the real world is to you, like whatever the scary real world is to you, uh, you kind of have to expose yourself to that for at least a little bit to, to know that that's there. And because like before I left Jersey, I, I never traveled that far out of Jersey. So there was a lot of things I took for granted. And when you're going around LA, like even if you're in a good mood walking out the door, it's not long before you see a homeless person. And it's like, how can you even be in a good mood looking at somebody living like that? in some of these situations and it's not even not even like a 
I'm not, uh, what's the word? Virtue signaling, not virtue signaling or anything like that. It's just, uh, or, or like poor me, I have a car or whatever. And, and, you know, I, I need someone to feel sorry for me, but it's like, it's more just, it's very hard to, to keep up your delusions when you, you see what the real world kind of is. And then once you kind of get through that, that's when you kind of know where you are and where you have to grow and things like that. I think until I got out there, it's not like I'm, <laughs> I won't say I, I've been delusional. I've always worked hard on whatever I was doing, but I think that I'm more cognizant of the things, you know, that I'm blessed with. And, and if I had to kind of go through a shitty year to make that the positive spin on the rest of my life, all right, it'll, it'll be worth it. Nice. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place for us to end. Joey, it was great having you on the podcast. Uh, where can people follow you and find you on the internet? Where can people get into your fucking algorithm and tickle well, you? First, you can put your pants back on, sir. Like, <laughs> this is just, this is, uh, this was so professional. Sorry, my water bottle's peeing on me again. <laughs> fucking, let's see. Uh, Instagram is the best place. Like, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Joey Rosenberg, but Instagram, I post more consistently and, uh, Let's see, it's a J underscore row underscore show. So it's the, the letter J underscore R-O underscore show is on Instagram. That'll be the best place you can find me. Is there any local comic you're excited to see now that you're back? See, perform. Is there is there anybody who you're like, damn, I want to see what their jokes are now? Uh, of our of our scene? Oh, or yeah, general? New Jersey. New Jersey area. I want to see what Arnold Peters' jokes are like right now. Whoa, I haven't seen Arnold Peter, Peter in a while. I saw, him, I saw him like we, we did the show together during one of the times I came back to visit from LA, uh, the Rafael Hernandez, shout out Raf. He has a show at the space station with a secret address, which is really cool. <laughs> but, but like, uh, I, I, Arnold was on the bill that night. I think that was the last time I saw him. It was about six months ago. The guy is fucking funny as hell. So, so is Raf. Shout out to both of them. Word, word. All right. Catch some local comedy. Good night. <laughs> Sessions with Mary Jane. Out. <laughs>